developers drinking good Arab tea. My name is Rami Ismail, your host for this episode. And I'm Demis Mar. And I'm Osama Darius. Wow, it's three Habibis again. Yes. <laughs> what are the chances? I just, who, who, I, just did, I just did the equivalent of a podcast hiccup in which like I double click on the mute button. So oh, became, that's what happened. Yeah, I'm that's like, I am a fa- uh, <laughs> You are fa- <laughs> fa- uh, I'm fa- Z. Fa- Z in the house. Listen, you want you want to try that again <laughs> with the with the with the double muting or without? No, no, without double muting. So you can just say say who you are. Yeah. So people know who you are. I am Fauzi Mesmore. Wow. Sorry, you're, you're, for this did evening. you say that you're posing as more? That's what I heard. I am posing as yeah. more. <laughs> posing as more. How could you be more than Posey? That's impossible. Honestly, posing as more is still one of my favorite people in animation. <laughs> <laughs> what was that thing again? Yeah. Was it, um, an, an, it was an one audio of those automated to... transcript? Yeah. yeah. Because for accessibility, I, I started looking into transcription, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, if you want to transcribe stuff, you know, just. Lots of these really good automated services, and the first Arab word it comes across, which is "salam alaikum," is it like salsa and something? And I'm like, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna work. And then it's like it did all kinds of things to our names. Like I was, yeah. I was posing as more, and, and posing as more. Rami, right? Rami was something funny though. Like his first name was right, but then his last name was something funny. I don't remember what it was. I probably just like Ismail. Yeah. Like as a man, (laughs) I have one of those Google nests at home, and whenever like whenever I speak to it, like you know, asking for like the most simple of tasks, I feel a bit at ease with the idea that like AI is gonna destroy humanity. But like, no, we're still a long way from that because I've (laughs) I've been asking Google for the weather for the past twenty five minutes, and it's told me every city in the world except for Stockholm. I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean it won't take over the world. It might even do a better job than we're doing. Just, I mean, <laughs> just saying. It might, it might take over the world through sheer incompetence, which apparently totally works given you know the political climate of the planet at the moment. Even so, what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. My, my Google normally gets things pretty right, except for when I want to turn off all the lights at the end of the day. If I just tell it to turn off all the lights, it'll tell me that I can't do it. But then if I use the routine that I created for good night, it just does it. Wow. Interesting. No idea what the difference is. <laughs> no. AI has been a big topic the last few weeks, so that's been that's been a thing. What do you guys think of the the uh, the AI art stuff? <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, I have a lot of opinions. Yeah. <laughs> How about Osama? How about you drop some first? <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, we can take coffee behind you if you know. But, well, if you say anything. <laughs> the first thing is it's inevitable. It's going to happen. At this point, we have to, you know, understand that it's a tech that exists. There are uses for it, and it's going to happen. So, as with all new tech, it's scary at first and requires regulation. That's really the, the what uh, the crux of it is for me, is that right now it's scary because there are no regulations, there are no rules. They're using the, the algorithm to scan images that they have no copyright rights to because there's no law that makes like that, that forces them to do so. Um, and we're seeing the, the results of that where people's styles are being picked up on. Uh, in a similar way that you can't copyright game design, there could be an argument that you can't copyright art style. Uh, so, like, there's going to be a lot of legislature that has to come to protect people and or to protect the AIs and say, no, you're allowed to do this. And then we have to pivot in consequence. Uh, I personally like it as a tool. It gives designers and tech people, people who don't have art skills, a way to just quickly express what they mean visually. I don't mean it as an end result, but just as a, this is what I'm thinking. This is in my head. I'm going to throw a couple of words out there and a bunch of pictures are generated and I'm going to point out one of them and tell you it's closer to this one than the others, right? And for for production, I think that's very valuable. Um, And if you use it that way, I don't really see any problem with it because you're not using it as, you know, final art uh, and you're not, there's no argument, legal argument over, over whether the parts that you picked up on are uh, like copy or belong to someone else, because we do that 
all the time when we're making games anyway, we pick up references. That's what references are, right? This is just a using a mishmash of references instead of specific references. It's not uh, a problem. The issue is, can you commercialize that? Can you take bits and pieces from other uh, artists' work, put it through a blender and say it's mine now? And that's something that we have to figure out legally. I think I think I'm a little I'm a little stricter on the line than than you are there, uh, Sama. Like I, I see what you're saying, and I, I think I mostly agree. I, I think for me the distinction comes with the creation of the tools themselves, right? Mm-hmm. When you reference something, when when you go and reference art, you reference art, and then an artist takes that art and turns it into something else, mm-hmm. right? That's a that's a paid job mm-hmm. to to do that. Um, Right now, what you're creating is you're creating these tools that are often paid or, uh, you know, supported otherwise that are building tremendous community like strength and like popularity. And they're doing it on the work of people who did not give permission to do that. Exactly. That's the problem. Right. That, that's for me is the problem. I don't care what the intent of the art is that is being generated. For me, that is that is a secondary problem that is equally big. For me, the problem is that these are tools that are being created and the value of the tool is in the database of art right the the ai itself is not a value it's not useful to anybody it's only useful to anybody when it has data when it has learning sets Mm -hmm. and if those learning sets are data that aren't licensed or aren't allowed for use by the creators of those sets i think that's where my first line is drawn like that just shouldn't it shouldn't be possible and i know it it is possible because like you said regulation is always late (laughs) Um, but uh, for me, uh, you know, uh, how people use it is, is the, the second big question. I think you, you and I are very aligned on that. It's like, you know, if it's used for non-commercial purposes, internal purposes, whatever, uh, yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, if it's used for commercial purposes or it's used to resale, um, that is obviously a problem. And then there's sort of like the gray area of like, okay, well, people's jobs, it used to be people's jobs to do this. And now it's getting outsourced to an AI. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think for me, the problem becomes when the people whose jobs are going to be outsourced to AI are the same people who are getting exploited and being added to that learning set without their permission. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets a little iffy. All right. Mm-hmm. I get so, that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. I was going to jump in, but you can go in first to some of the Rami's point. Yeah, actually, the, the, the point that Rami made that is intriguing to me is that you're making a distinction between using the images for the learning and using the images to generate other images, because um, I don't know if there if there's actually a distinction in that, but that is a fascinating question. Can AI algorithms use any image to learn, uh, and can they source any of those images to create new art is are those two separate concepts and do i have a different stance on both i haven't given that enough thought uh we're aligned on the second part but the first part of like okay imagine a world imagine a world where you have two different uh categories of the ai art generator the one that only sources public domain or with permission art and that that becomes okay you know it's, in terms of sourcing it for the art itself not for the learning part if there's a distinguish uh, if there's a, um, a, a distinction between those two. And the second is the one that you can use for internal and concept that actually doesn't, you cannot use it for commercial use because it sources everything. Is that is that a distinction that you see? I mean, I, I think the, the separation I make is not necessarily in the, in the data sets, it's in the algorithm versus the data sets, right? The, the algorithm is a program. It, it basically is a, a deep learning type of algorithm, which means it's relatively unpredictable to us. Mm-hmm. It looks for patterns in information and it uses those patterns to create uh, decisions, right? Um, and deep learning is fascinating. It's been used for all sorts of super interesting things. It's a little unpredictable, but it, it's it's a fascinating sort of like um, uh, programming mm-hmm. um, um, tool. Uh, that said, any deep learning program is completely without value, without learning sets. So my, my distinction is the program versus the learning set. And if the program without the learning set has no value and the program with the learning set has value, then the value is being added by the learning set, mm-hmm. right? 
And if that learning set then contains things that do not have permission to be in there, mm-hmm. then there is value generation by people who there's value generation with the use of works of people who have not consented to that. Mm-hmm. And that is per definition a problem, yeah, right? Absolutely. Because the, the the value is being generated by other people's work, and that's effectively, as far as I understand, in every possible way, that that will be theft. So uh, that's where my my issue is not the distinction between like what because you know if you use only public domain information or public domain data sets, then I'm already okay. Yeah, you're right. Right, like fair. Like I mean, that information, that data was created for public domain mm-hmm. for all purposes. Uh, and if there is no further license limiting their use for for uh, that kind of stuff, sure. But we saw last week, I don't know if it was last week, we saw that case of the kid who was releasing all those NFT games, and they were just Pico 8 games that were made by developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had not given permission to this kid to, to uh, turn them into NFTs. And he then argued that the games were all under public domain. What he didn't realize is that not all of the, all of the assets in the game are under public domain. Mm-hmm. So you get this weird situation where I think a lot of people are taking lots of shortcuts to just go like, okay, well, this is public domain. If Google says it's public domain, okay, it's public domain, but nobody's actually checking the licenses, yeah. right? Nobody's actually checking whether that's true because that will be way too much work. So there's a lot of value generation through taking uh, unethical shortcuts, a lot of value generations through using people's, uh, people's hard work to feed these things without their permission. Mm-hmm. And in the end, what you get is these tools that are getting popular, that are going to be, uh, that are going to get investment, that are going to be uh, subscription services that you pay for, mm-hmm. that are going to be, be used to generate brand awareness or brand value. And all of those things are being done with those shortcuts because there is no regulation. It doesn't have to be. I've seen artists start to post uh, erotic art or other types of art that would ban their art pages from those data sets. <sighs> Clever. just to stay out of those data sets it's sad that they have to do that yeah it's preposterous but like uh, you know our technology is good enough to filter that sort of stuff out so when a set comes across that kind of when when an algorithm comes across that sort of stuff it'll just get flagged as not safe for work and then it'll just get like booted out of the algorithm uh, that's not how it should be. People no. shouldn't be drawing like haram stuff. No, they should. Be, they <laughs> they shouldn't be drawing to, haram stuff yeah. to 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 not get their work stolen, right? It, like it should be. At, you're, you make a very compelling argument that nobody's going to check the uh, um, the licenses, like the public domain and Creative Commons licenses. So at this point, the way I, I'm seeing it is that it should only be opt in. Uh, and if you only have opt-in, you're not going to have a data set. Well, especially initially, you're not going to have a data set large enough to get any work of value. So it's a problem. Exactly. It's a problem. Yeah. yeah. The value is being generated through these shortcuts. Yeah. In my, in my point of view, it might be a little bit uh, like uh, like the, the, uh, the way I'm thinking about these things is like maybe a little bit outside of the the legalities or the use cases of it. Like for me, like looking at the high level at this technology, I feel that the, this AI, this AI technology is good and it's going to improve, but I just I am convinced that um, I can't see the software par- uh, comes to parallel or beat human creativity. And I just think that like you know these 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 algorithms are going to only be as good as the algorithm is written and the source material that they uh, that is fed into them. Mm-hmm. And you can you can already see that um, uh, what are they Dali and Midjourney. You can almost yeah. already tell if an AI generated thing is a Dali or a Midjourney. Yeah, you can. You know, yeah. it yeah. it seems like you know like because of the the difference in the val and in the set that's been fed to this uh, software, as unpredictable as they are, they almost also become predictable because ultimately it's a software. That is following a set of uh, notions, that uh, you know, f- a set of steps. As complex as those steps is, they're still following rules mm-hmm. that we set out for them, and then, like you know, they spit out the output. 
there's also the queries that we put in that uh, don't follow steps generally, and you can you can argue that that adds to the creative process. But ultimately, like you know, I believe that you know our creativity as human is because of our inefficient thinking. It's because we don't uh, follow the steps. We don't follow a particular predictable algorithm when it comes to creativity and creation. We, in fact, constantly break rules when it comes to our creativity, and that's why human creativity is unbound. Mm-hmm. Nothing is impossible. The set of uh, of code can't create that level of, uh, you know, at the risk of using the word, randomness. In terms of like how we connect between things and end up creating it. I mean, I, you know, the the main thing is what what deep learning does. It's it's pattern recognition, mm-hmm. right? So it can only create based on existing patterns that are in existing art. Like that. That's how. Yep. That's how the algorithm works. It can only create. It can only create patterns based on patterns, and those patterns can be incredibly complex, but they're they're still patterns and. You could argue that humans kind of work the same way, but humans are not limited to a single data set, right? Yeah. Like, you can change how you draw based on music. Yeah. Right? You can change how you uh, how you interpret a, a piece of music based on what you're looking at. You can change the thing that you're working on because you saw a beautiful cloud. Yeah. But right? I would, but I would also... Because it was wind chill. But I think what I would also add to that, Ram, is that um, you can also change a piece of music or a piece of art based on uh, making a mistake. So you can hit the wrong note and then all of a sudden that became its own thing. It's the same way that, yeah. you know, like you have a lot of game designers that just make something... A bug creates a very interesting feature and that becomes a game. Um, or you um, interpret a data set based on how you feel. (laughs) So like it'll be the same data set, it's the same information, but if you're upset, then you interpret it in a very different way than you would if you're happy. And I believe that's something that is almost impossible to replicate in a machine that is just detecting patterns. It it is until you have works that have been created in each of those emotional states, and then it can create those kind of patterns because those patterns are in the data set, right? It doesn't know that what it's creating is from an upset point of view because it just doesn't know. That's not how it works. It's just creating, it's finding patterns, yeah. matching patterns to queries, and then executing on those patterns. So, yeah, yeah you can absolutely get an upset interpretation of something. Theoretically. It just doesn't know. It, yeah, it, just, it doesn't know that it is that. Yeah, theoretically, that's assuming, like, let's, let's say uh, it's poetry. That's assuming that there is a poem that's been written about every single feeling someone could have about something you know that mm-hmm. feeling when you open right. a fridge and want a, a coke but you don't find one mm-hmm. and then somebody wrote a poem about that so you know like if you get that specific and you can actually generate art you're basically like saying uh, having a full library of human art to emotion <laughs> then yeah. then yes but um i don't think we have that or ever will we kind of do i mean it's not clean but we have tags and all the search engines we have like comments that you know they, like i'm sure the algorithm like sc- scrapes all of that data and and informs the the like the data set by it so like we don't have it in a clean way in a structured way but it's there you know like th- there's no piece of art or 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 image on the internet that doesn't have the capacity or the ability to have tags right or like some kind of text associated with it and i'm sure that's that's how it's collecting all that data anyway like I'm so happy. I love this. I want this on the T-shirt. These are all comments yeah. that you know people make. And, and that, that's the reason I use the Coke example because it's a bit more specific than I am disappointed. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? And um, that it goes into the granularity. I could like you know obviously come up with a lot of artwork under the tag beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. but that as you quickly come to realize is not enough to classify a lot of art. I mean, do, do you remember uh, uh, a while ago, there was a bit of a controversy about one of the machine learning, and I don't don't remember what it was, but one of the machine learning programs, might have been DALI, might have been My Journey, might have been another one. Uh, basically, what they did is they ran into a problem where there was a very high lack of diversity in the generated images. Yeah. 
and uh, and one of the ways the the creators tried to solve for it was they would randomly add a race to the query yeah so you would you would type a query and it would just in the background add the word like black or arab mm -hmm. or uh, chinese to the query so that you would get more diverse uh results and it just it it doesn't know what it's doing it doesn't know that it's adding diversity it's just a hard hack to offset for yeah. problems in the learning set and that's because and Im that's uh, image recognition is, is terrible at detecting people of different races uh, right. and I mean, yeah yeah my connect still would like my, my ex-wife was white and my my uh, connect would always catch her even if she was just like casually walking in the background over me yeah yeah. Um, even if I was doing like the big fist over my head gesture, that was like the look at me mm -hmm. gesture, but it just, it wouldn't, but this might but, not be related, but when I say, Hey Google, both my phone and my wife's phone, pick it up. But when she does only her phone picks it up, so I think <laughs> there might be something there too. <laughs> or you speak, or you speak with, with a very double voice, oh, you know, works. you're like the antagonist from, from a science fiction movie. Oh, one, no. one that speaks with two voices. Oh no, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know you're really evil you have two voices oh no <laughs> and the funny thing is that like um i could see different companies start different uh like filling in different um um ai algorithms with different types or like art styles so that they are now like you know generating art i'm using air quotations there with the mm -hmm. uh, with the art style that is based on the information that it's fed. So it almost like it transforms or creates new jobs to some extent in terms of like there's the there's people that are creating art pieces on their own. There are people oh, yeah. that are potentially creating art pieces to be fed into uh, an AI. And there are artists that, uh, you know, write in the queries, generate the art, and then touch it up and sets it out for the thing that needs to be used it's still like you know art in its own right any one of those jobs is still creative mm -hmm. but it's uh new jobs that never like hasn't existed right. yet yeah. it's just the source like, like, that's the problem because you yeah do that like with, osama okay, said right the, sorry go ahead. yeah i was just gonna say i insist you all go. right osama go okay fine uh, I would say we do the same thing with animations and mocap, right? Like the, the mocap data that we get that gets cleaned up by anima animators. Yeah. That's a technology in games specifically that didn't exist like 20 years ago or up until 20 years ago. And then started becoming more and more commonplace. But the source is an actor that you pay for their movements. You know, like it's a, it, it, there's no legal ambiguity here. Like the, the difference between starting up using an AI and then coloring over it uh, or finishing it up um, that's a little more murky because the, do you have the permission to use uh, the art, like the art that was inspired by others without their permission to use it as a starting point? And the argument can be yes or no, depending, because right now you could use any images as reference. So it's like, it's murky. It's not a clear yes or no. Right, but, I, yeah. but again, like I think reference is very different from being part of a data set, right? Yeah, like that, you're that's right, the but there, there are artists who take an image and like color over it like and depending on how much of the source image is still there in its essence there's already some debate over how over right that but is. we we frown we frown on that but that is again an artist taking a piece of work as reference and that's very different from an algorithm using something in a data set mm -hmm where the only value that's being added is the fact that that piece of work is in the data. Yes, but what we're talking about is that art is in turn used as a starting point for something that an actual artist will draw over. So like the comparison is, is between the, those two things. Right. And, and but, you know, same thing, like the there's a difference between taking a piece and then drawing like drawing over it is already sort of frowned upon. Exactly. Right. It's great, but it's frowned upon. But it's still a human doing work, drawing over a thing, versus an algorithm that is basically inhaling, ingesting million pieces of imagery that it might or might not have rights to. Yeah, we're saying the same thing. And then generate something. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I think we are. Yeah. I think we are. <laughs> Right. And I think that's what I was um, also suggesting as like, if that, let's say, goes in one way over the other in terms of like the rights and ability for people to uh -huh. use that, then 
I can see a future where firms hire artists specifically to create art to fill into or feed into the algorithm so that they can generate a lot more of that same data type. You know what I mean? Speaking of seeing the future, this is something that like already the art that's being generated now would have been hard to believe like four or five years ago that AI would come to this point. Do you see a future where games can be made by AI? Yeah, of course. Like you throw in, I want this progression system, I want yeah. this style, this camera thing, and then the game is just generated and playable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Again, again, it will only be like um, you know based on whatever we feed it. So like I can't see an AI creating things that uh, other than thing uh, like a mixture or data sets of stuff that we already have in some way. And but, the vast yes. majority would probably be not enjoyable, but then one or two will stand out as being, you know. Well, that's the thing. If you can get enough of a data set there, then it will just work the exact same way as the art thing, yeah. where at some point you'd probably recognize the algorithm, but you would still get you would still get games. Yeah. Yeah. And many of them might be enjoyable because you're not going to feed it bad games. Right. I think that we, we just. We just don't have that same level of standardization or uh, easy ability to categorize game mechanics yeah. in the same that you would have with, let's say, music genres or novel right. types or something but, like that. Yeah, it's more so than we that. We do too, have yeah. several billion hours of Twitch footage of video games. <laughs> That's true. true. That's true. And you could take that, run that in, see how people react, get people's best moments, and then generate moments like it. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, like everything can be automated as long as it patterns in it, and yeah. human creativity is effectively pattern creation. Yeah, but that's a bigger problem to solve. Like taking images and creating another image is a bigger problem to solve than taking gameplay footage and creating a playable oh. game with collisions yeah. and all these things. Like, I'm, that's the funny thing. Yeah. You would think that, but to the algorithm, it really doesn't matter what you feed it, right? All that matters is that it has the processing power to do it, and. Right now, I think the technology is more bound by like computer cycles, like one image is one frame of data with a relatively predictable sort of like amount of pixels, right? Um, so, you know, relatively easy to sort of like figure out how that works. Twitch is relatively standardized mm-hmm. and, it, you know, creating video that looks like Twitch video uh, could be relatively straightforward. I think you might need some sort of 3D interpreter, but AI can do that too. I think we're more bound by the, the the speed at which computers work and the sort of memory we have available than anything else. Because I, I don't think the algorithms right now would necessarily have issues doing it. That's interesting because, I I mean, you're not wrong. I just, uh, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the algorithm, figuring out the, like, the space that's in the video and right. how the collisions are supposed to work and actually creating rigid rules so, for it because that's what we need. We need specific rigid rules, not a video. Right? So that's the weird thing. That, that's not how it works, right? Like the image generation also doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't know that it's creating images. Yeah. But these need rules. Aware. Like it's not just, you don't output a thing that kind of looks right. You have to output a thing that works. And that... I don't know if you can output a thing that looks right, you can recreate it, right? Wow. Okay. I guess I need to take more time to think about this because my head hurts now. <laughs> I'm trying to like solve the problem in my head. And I'm like, where do you start? Like, where do you start with games? Well, you know, the, the same place you start with anywhere else. Break it down into smaller blocks. And if you can get Twitch footage. You, you know, we already know that AI can very well interpret 3D images into movement mm-hmm. because that's exactly what self-driving cars are doing. Mm-hmm. They're taking a 3D space of which they have no real information and they're turning it into 3D like location data in the car at 120 kilometers an hour mm-hmm. uh, in a way where you get 3D spaces where I can tell you where other cars are, so where pedestrians are, what signs are there. So th- there's really no reason to assume that they can't do it for games. Mm-hmm. Right. And then as the rules, it doesn't care because the rules don't like it only has to fit a pattern, whether those are game rules or movements or characters or whatever it, it just doesn't care it doesn't care that it, whether it's drawing a panda or a human it, it just cares that it knows what that pattern it just is. feels like for for me to be able to figure it out it just feels like you'd have to apply that video to a specific game genre because like once you explore like otherwise it's just undoable you need a different algorithm for each game genre 
But again, I'm not smart enough to, right. to but, design that. Like if you wanted to do it with first person shooters, period, and you could feed any video or any set of videos to, uh, and generate a new first person shooter, I could see that. I could draw the lines. I could create the, 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 the space. I could have the, the weapons, the projectiles, all the things is sourced and you're done. But how do you do an algorithm that, that's going to interpret it, what, what genre it is, and then generate that, like with all the different types of games that are possible? Right, but it, it doesn't need to. That's the thing. It doesn't know art styles either. It just creates art styles. It just, it, it doesn't know. That's, that's the thing. The thing about AI, about deep learning, is that it doesn't know. Hmm. All it knows is that there are certain patterns that work and other patterns that don't. So if it starts with a line, right, if it starts with a horizon, hmm. It knows it's making a first-person game now because that's the pattern. So that first line that gets drawn, it's like, oh, it's a horizon. So I guess this is a this pattern, and it's just gonna go and continue building something that looks like a first-person game. And sometimes it'll get and it completely it wrong, and other times it'll get it right, and that's the fun of it. Exactly, yeah. and and that that's the data set that it gets trained on. So it'll generate a first-person RTS game where it's first-person, but all the buildings are isometric, mm. and people just go like, this is bad. Mm. And then it won't try that pattern again, or it will limit the amount of that that pattern that it creates. And then you test it often enough until eventually it's just right. All right, I, I want someone to make this. <laughs> I'm going to be out of a job, but my curiosity is going to be yeah. satisfied. Great. <laughs> oh no. No no. Speaking of, let's move out of the AI discussion because we have some uh, we we probably did some stuff that was not procedurally generated this week yep. right or at least that we don't think is procedurally generated <laughs> <laughs> who even knows these days um yeah i can go first if you don't mind uh i mean yeah you or fauzi fauzi you want to go first no no you can go first i yeah, played good. cult of the lamb and it was really good i really liked it did either of you play cult of the lamb I did not. No, I don't know much about it. So it's a top-down. Um, I I hesitate to call it a roguelike because I actually don't know how much of it is crafted and how much of it is is, uh, is procedural. I can't tell because I only played it the one time uh, so far. It feels like there's some randomness in there in the cards uh, and, and the choice of abilities that you pick up, and maybe there's a little bit in the generation of the the rooms, but I honestly don't know. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter because if I can't tell, I can't tell, right? I'm still having a good experience with that. But it's a top-down, um, like, kind of a twin-stick shooter because you get abilities that are like that, uh, where it has a secondary component where it's a city builder, kind of, again. You're more, you're a cult mm -hmm. builder. You're, you're, like, recruiting people to follow your cult, and they give you resources, and those resources, in turn, give you power-ups. Um, and... The, the really cool thing about it, uh, there are actually, I would say, two really cool things about it. The first is that contrast between the super cutesy art style and the ultra demonic theme is <laughs> so good. It's so, so good. Like it switches back and forth. So you really feel it. It switches back and forth between, oh, this thing's cute. Oh, no, it's why you turned red. It's about to murder me. Okay, it's back to being cute now. And that, that is really well done. Really well That's executed. That's cool. Yeah. And the second is the commitment to the theme. Like there are so, like there you are creating a cult. You're actually choosing doctrines for the cult. And those have a real strong impact on what kind of cult it is and how your the, your little you know cultists how they behave towards you, towards each other. You really feel it. A huge impact. And everything is super thematic, really, really dripping in, in the theme. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's really, really good. Combat is on the very basic side. You can attack, you can dodge, and you have like a, a long-range projectile. And there's a really cool like Gwent-like uh, dice game. Like, you know, as in it's not really part of the game, but it, like you could go and play it any, any, any time you want. Uh, it's a dice game, and it's actually really good on its own. Uh, so I'm enjoying it. I think it's really good. Um, so uh, what what does the the city builder aspect uh, do? So like you you, you built the cult, therefore you can get cards, so you can battle. Yeah, other it's kind cult of leaders, kind of like that. So basically, wh whoever mini boss that you defeat during the the fight, uh, sorry, during the combat segment, 
you can recruit them as being cult followers. And there's other mm -hmm. like, you know, denizens that you could pick up along the way. When you come back to your base, you could give them a job like cut wood, uh, mine or, uh, or worship or whatever it is. Okay. Each one gives you a different resource. And that those resources you use to build like, you know, like city components, like uh, farms and beds and uh, shrines and the like. But the cult part of it is that you could actually put to, in place rituals. Like you could actually sacrifice one of your cultists uh, as an example. Okay. And depending on what doctrines you have in place, everyone will fear you now and have a risk of leaving, but you gained another resource that you could use to get another power up. Or everyone's happier now because your doctrine says that they, they have eternal life. And some of the doctrines can be you could bring someone back to life. So you can actually, you know, sacrifice the cultists, bring them back, sacrifice them again, bring them back. And, like, it, there is some min-maxing where if you have the right combination of doctrines and, and uh, things in, in play, you're just maximizing the resources that you're getting. And those resources you could get, like, different cards. And the cards are basically power-ups or abilities that you can take with you when you go back into combat. But what's really cool is that these two segments don't feel at odds with each other. One really feeds into the other. And the, the, the how long you stay in one and the other, it never overstays its welcome. At least that was my experience. You're, you're in one just the right amount of time. And then you move on to the other one, but one feeds the, the other. It's really well balanced. That sounds like a lot of fun. You're playing it on Switch. I, I actually got it on my Steam Deck. So I'm playing oh, yeah. it on my PC, on my Steam Deck, and I got a third-party dock, so I'm also playing it on my TV. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah, just going back and forth between all three. How's, uh, what's the third-party dock like? That's interesting. So it's just, uh, it looks like, you know, a USB hub, like you, okay. with, a, with a USB-C thing that sticks out of it. Uh, you plug it into the switch, and then you have the HDMI cable and the power adapter that go into the TV or into the it doesn't actually dock like there's no clip on or it doesn't it's just a dongle yeah it's yeah, just, yeah. It's a, just a dongle that's all okay. But, okay yeah but it works it works flawlessly i will share with you the one i use and i spoke to rami about yeah. once it's very light did you get one yeah, rami? yeah i ordered one oh, nice all right you have to tell no, me about but, it uh, i uh, i finally decided to uh, to look into replacing my steam deck because uh it's just a little too big yeah just it's just a little too big like i i love that thing it's great like don't get me wrong it's an incredible device mm -hmm. but i want to bring it for travel and you know that thing is like the size of my backpack <laughs> wow. in height and it's just it's just too big so i've been looking at a bunch of like replacements uh the, you know you can tell that steam deck is the good one because everything else is worse okay but um, you know, some of them are smaller, which means that they might be worse, but they're still going to be better for my use. Because all I really want is a portable Destiny machine, you know? <laughs> I then, didn't realize that there's already a market for, like, uh, Switch-like oh, devices. No. Mm. Fauzi, these things have existed for years. Like, GPD has been making, like, hundreds of them. Wow. Uh, the, the sort of, like, portable computer-like market is, is relatively... Or handheld computer, maybe... Is, is relatively mature. Like, there's a lot of players on it that just continue to be players in it. I yeah. thought they were um, pretty much only for emulators. That's the only yeah, ones I remember seeing. It's like, like Raspberry Pis with uh, buttons. Exactly. Right. No, those exist too, but there's like full blown portable gaming computers. And when the Switch came out, a lot of them took the Switch like form factor. Uh, the design, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just the Steam Deck, like, obviously, it being Valve just got way more attention and all of these, like, Honestly, kind of knockoff feely devices, mm -hmm. but a lot of them are very popular. A police station. So <laughs> yes, I'm looking at one called the Aya Neo Air, which is currently an Indiegogo project. Uh, but Aya Neo is relatively well known. I have some concerns about the battery life, but at the same time, I'm always carrying batteries with me. Okay. So that's not really a problem. Basically, my 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 goal is simple: to play Destiny on the go. I currently use my laptop. Mm -hmm. Right. And my laptop to play games at the quality that I want from Destiny uh, on, on the size of screen that my laptop has is uh, it needs power. And to have power, it can't use the USB-C PD. It can't use USB-C charging because it doesn't give enough power for the graphics card in the computer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
if I want to play Destiny, and only if I want to play Destiny, I need to bring my Power Brick, which is huge. Mm. Then I have to bring an Xbox 360 or an Xbox, sorry, Xbox One controller, which is large. So effectively, any device that is smaller than my Power Brick plus an Xbox One controller is a device that I want. Mm -hmm. Sadly, the Steam Deck is larger than my Power Brick plus an Xbox One controller. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm just looking for for something that is smaller than that that can play Destiny, and uh, Ioneus seems to be it. So I'm I'm going to be ordering it, and I'll let you know whether it's good. That's good. Did, uh, did you come across any uh, funky knockoff names like a Stream uh, Decker or something like? No, that? no, no. Like I said, that market is relatively mature, so most of them are just sort of like playing to their own brand. Okay. So uh, it's it's not like there's a lot of like knock knockoffs in that regard um mm. like most of them are just just exist um and just already existed for a long time so they're not going to try stuff like that i'm very curious about the device you're getting man i'm uh, i'm looking for you're bringing it uh, with you to gamescom uh, I won't have it in time for Gamescom, sadly. So it'll be in a future episode of the the Habibis when I get the device. All right. Spe- speaking of Destiny, I finally played the new dungeon. Sorry, this is you two's favorite segment. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna do the Ram- dishes. Carry on. <laughs> Rami Ram- Ram- talks about Destiny. Uh, no, so um, the latest season had a new dungeon, and uh, dungeons are the three-player endgame content. Um, and I hadn't played this one. I just, uh, you know, I hadn't been, I hadn't been uh, level to like the right place, and I hadn't really like caught up with friends in Destiny. I hadn't played Destiny for a while, honestly. Uh, the most recent event wasn't too interesting for me. So um, finally, I got a group together and I went into the dungeon, and it's a really good dungeon with really clever mechanics. I think that's really what what Bungie excels at is creating like interesting ways of communication and like pressure. Mm-hmm. So uh, the main mechanic in this in this dungeon is that there you're in the mind of one of the main antagonists of Destiny Two. Ah, cool. And um, basically, you're aboard. You're you're already aboard his like massive like mothership, but then there are these bells of conquest, and there are these these symbolic things for that race of creatures. And basically, when you shoot the bell in the real world. You get teleported into this deep blood red version of the same space um, that is like w- worse. You know, there's more death drops. There's more like it's just a worse version of it, and it's basically in in his mind. Okay. To get out, you need to find the bell again, and then you need to shoot it again. The only difference being that any player who's not near the bell when the bell is shot dies. So going into the red zone, you can be anywhere you want and you get, just get teleported to the same spot you're in, but in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Leaving the red zone, you all have to huddle together next to the bell and then shoot it at such a point that you all get teleported back. That's cool. It's, it seems like a lot of mechanics to kind of force the party to split and then mechanics to force the party to come back together again. And that's exactly how they're using it. So, for example, one of the first boss fights and minor spoilers here, but you know, this is the basic mechanic that you're taught in the first minutes of the of the raid. Uh, for the first for the first boss encounter, effectively what you need to do is there's four different rooms uh, and like sort of the main room. And what you need to do is you need to start by in the main room enabling the bell by killing two enemies. That makes the bell active. Then uh, you all go into the red space. You kill a certain type of enemies that give you a key. Mm-hmm. You'll get two keys which open two rooms. Then you go back to the main zone, and you have limited time to go back to the main zone. Otherwise, the nightmare collapses and your team wipes, right? So Very you have cool. to go quick. When you're in the red zone, you have to go quick. You have to kill those enemies, get those keys. Every player can carry one key. There's three players. There's two keys. So two of the players need to be working on the keys, and one of the players needs to keep the bell safe and, and activate the bell again. And then you all get back to the bell. You shoot the bell. You go back to the real zone, right? Now, in the real zone, you deliver the keys to the appropriate places. That opens the doors. Now, every player that had a key goes into the open doors. They go to the red zone, and then the doors disappear because those doors don't exist in the red zone. So now you're stuck behind the walls. So now there's three separate encounters going on, one for each player. The main player is trying to keep the bell safe. The other two players are trying to kill a lot of enemies. And when they kill all those enemies, the main boss becomes vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So it's... 
it sounds like a lot, but it's really straightforward. It's really elegant. It forces you to split up, get back together. It creates timing. It creates... It adds like, time pressure like, as well, so yep. it adds a bit of that tension. I like it. Yep. It's very clever. You've got that sacrifice play where one of the players is not going to be back in time. And you're like, okay, just hit the bell, hit the bell, hit the bell, and you know they die. But the other two get to keep going, so the, the encounter doesn't have to reset because if all of you three die, you, you wipe and you have to restart. So, like... You know, incredible plays happen. Like I had one during one of the encounters where uh, everybody with a key was was down and I was running back to the... Uh, everybody with a key was running and I was running to the bell, but I was only barely going to make it and the two others were behind me. And I just slid into the bell and shot it and the other two died. But like, then I had to stay alive for like, what was it, 45 seconds until the others could respawn? And I was under leveled, so I was just jumping like crazy. Mm-hmm. I was just jumping around that room, dodging <laughs> bullets, using supers, like trying to stay alive whatever way I could long enough for them to get their revive in. And then when they revived, we continued. And it was just, it was such a nice, tense moment. And they just, they have such a good feel for that stuff. Like the communication, the different ways of like running it, the like self-sacrifice plays, like, ah, uh, uh, they're so good. That sounds great. There was a really good uh, GDC talk this year about how they, they account for all of those moments uh, in Destiny. It, it was a Bungie talk from um, Alan. can't remember his last name. Oh, crap. Edit this part out. From Alan something. <laughs> Alan something. Yeah. yeah, Alan something. One of my favorite Bungie. There's, a, there's quite a few Alans at Bungie. Yeah. Either way, it was a great talk. Uh, I'm going to find the link and maybe add it to the show notes if I ever get was it. Uh, was it Alan Blaine? Yes, that's the one. That's, that's the one. Um, great talk. And it talks exactly about their philosophy on how to approach it exactly to balance it that way. So if you're interested in mm. you know, how they do that, uh, I would definitely... I, I really wish the two of you would play Destiny so we can play some of these encounters. But, you know, a, a man can dream. <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> No, no such thing. This is less inshallah than inshallah. I'll jump in like, with Destiny Three. Like honestly, honestly, I, like I there love. Is no Destiny 3. I love the playing the Destiny part. I don't dislike it. The problem is the navigating the Destiny part. I always feel like I'm just lost. I have no idea what the resources are. I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Once you get me in there. I like the shooty parts. <laughs> the shooty parts are really good. But also, you don't give it more than three tries, so you'll never learn the resources. Yeah, that's the problem. Because there's a million other games competing for my attention. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, even I backed out of Destiny for a while until I got this group together. Now there's a big showcase coming up in uh, seven days. Ooh. So the hype the hype is real. Um, I, can't wa- I can't wait for what they're going to be showing. But yeah, that was, that was my main like media thing this week so uh i think it's fauzi's turn i'll, I'll keep it quick because i've you know i haven't been playing that much video games because uh for uh for entertainment outside of elden ring and we spoke so much about that mm-hmm. so i'll keep it out of the I mean, discussion i just talked about destiny so you know like i feel like <laughs> but, you've earned well the, destiny is a live game there's constantly new things <laughs> <laughs> Elden Ring is the same game that came out with like some patches and updates, but I'm still finding new things in it. Um, right. I watched uh, uh, Better Call Saul. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I think the final yeah, season right. is out now, and the last episode came out today, actually. Yeah. Last night for us, yeah. The the finale. Uh, uh, you guys Breaking Bad fans? Yes, huge Breaking Bad fan. And I'm uh, I'm not up to date with Better Call Saul. I'm missing one this season. I didn't watch this season. Yeah, uh, uh, Rami, I know how you feel about TV shows, <laughs> so I understand. <laughs> right. um, but uh, Breaking Bad, I like I like Breaking Bad a lot, and uh, this show is pretty cool. I think sometimes like some of its highs is um, on the same level, if not more, than Breaking Bad when it like you know gets going. Mm. And this is by far my favorite season because it. Mm. Um, it links the two shows together really, really well. Mm. And it's like, you know, it, uh, if, there, if you had any questions in Breaking Bad, like, I wonder what this person did before this. By now, you should know. 
Absolutely. So it kind of like, it gives you like a very full rounded image of pretty much all the characters in Breaking Bad and then all the characters they introduced in Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Saul is a is a much more complex character than initially we thought of in, in Breaking Bad, though it was a standout and a complex character in Breaking Bad to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, the show just fleshes this out super well. Um, and um, the, the creators of both shows were involved. Uh, a lot of the cast members were involved. Yeah, uh, ultimately, like I think this last season really makes watching ever the the show all the more worth it. Oh, wow, that's high praise! I can't wait. Yeah, it's high praise. It's really good show. I um, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm just thinking of what TV shows I've watched recently, but I think after the Marvel ones, I just I haven't. She Hulk is coming soon. Excited about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch <laughs> it. We'll watch She-Hulk it. is one of my favorite Marvel characters, and so right. I'm super excited for it. Uh, I mean, I, I still watch whatever Marvel does at the moment. I'm not sure if it's smart still, but... Fun I, fact. I yeah. you, you know how Deadpool breaks the fourth wall? Did you know mm-hmm. that She-Hulk did that first? In the comic books? Yeah. She, She-Hulk was aware that she was in the comic book and talked to her writer and her artist. And that, wow. that was a thing that she started before Deadpool. Wow. Yeah. Her comics were nope, really fun. Yeah. yeah, it looks like a fun show. I mean, the. the oh, she's probably not going to do that on the show. And she hasn't done it in recent years in the comics either. But originally, that was one of her things. Right. All right. Fair. Uh, I'm sure they'll do it at least once. <laughs> Maybe there's a nod there somewhere. Maybe. Yeah, has to. We'll watch for it. I don't know. I've I've, mo- I've recently been watching uh, um, uh, Marvel again with my uh, with my girlfriend who's catching up, and we yesterday we watched Avengers. Ooh! And it's been a while since I watched the Avengers. Did you know that that final battle scene in New York is way longer than it needs to be? <laughs> <laughs> like they could cut like ten minutes off of that scene, and it would be the exact same scene. Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of moments that they were pausing for like dramatic effect. Right. <laughs> Nothing was happening. Yeah. Still a very good movie yeah. though. Like I you know, you 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 forget how much you love Phil Coulson until you see Phil Coulson. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh well. Um yeah. No, I mean Better Call Saul seems interesting. Breaking Bad was was kind of I watched a little bit of it, but it's just, you know, it was still ongoing when I watched it. Mm-hmm. I just don't I just don't watch series until they're completed. And then often when they're completed, they're so long that I don't feel like watching. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think now if you want to watch Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, it's like five seasons of Better Call Saul and four seasons four. of Breaking Bad. I think they, they went with the fifth after. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's 10 seasons of TV, almost yeah. an hour each episode. Yeah. 14, 15 episode. episodes a season. <laughs> right. So just like two weeks of my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, my opinion, but that's <laughs> just my opinion. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll go play some Destiny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Better go so cool. Yeah, that's about it. And like uh, next week, I'm just uh, very excited about Gamescom. Um, mm-hmm. That's gonna be like my uh, the biggest uh, in in person show in a while because I wasn't at GDC so. Super hyped about that, getting to see everybody, including you two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's going to be our first meetup as the Habibis. Not only that, we're doing yeah. it in, in person. We're doing a thing. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we convinced Gamescom to, do, uh, to, give us, to give us a pass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they kind of asked. Yeah. yeah. I'm not quite sure which which one is it. Somewhere in the middle, probably. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, Gamescom. What was it? One one p.m. on Thursday. Thir- Thursday. Yeah, one p.m. on Thursday. Yeah. Somewhere. I don't know where the room number is. At the at the Gamescom Congress. I don't even know if any of our listeners go to the Gamescom Congress, so it might be a very calm talk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll talk to each other. We'll bring a, a recording just in case. We'll, so we'll bring the mics and record. We'll record yeah. an episode on stage. <laughs> 
whether people are there or not okay with it. consequential yeah exactly if there's like one person in the audience going like woo then you know I'm, i don't care like i'm gonna have a good i'm gonna have a good recording with you <laughs> i'm just very excited to get the entire group together i've met with fauzi Selvin, i've met with osama so often yeah i've never met with the two of you in the same space no yes no i've never seen both of you in the same space either it's kind of wild yeah it's gonna be fun i'm looking forward to it me too yep Yep. Are we going to sit in uh, ascending height? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to sit or in the middle. Look- <laughs> no, no, you're <laughs> definitely like- sitting in the middle. <laughs> that would be so good. We'll just look like Fauzi's bodyguard. <laughs> we'll stand and you'll be in the front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go slightly to the back with sunglasses and a face. <laughs> and I'm sitting on like a stuffed camel or something. <laughs> <laughs> we should really get a stuffed camel. <laughs> I wonder if I can get one. A balloon camel? A balloon camel would do. Yeah. <laughs> a balloon camel might be easier. Uh, I was, I was kind of hoping that I could fly myself to Gamescom, but that's not going to work. No? You couldn't find a plane? No, because, well, the problem is that even if I rent, if I rent a plane, it's just going to be standing in, in Germany. Yeah. And I need to pay for the days that I'm not using the plane uh. to. So... Either I need to fly, find somebody who will fly with me and then fly back. Yeah. Um, and that's not going to work. So instead, my plan is to drive. And, uh, you know, the games come as two hours away. And I might have a, I might have some passengers for my drive, too. Yeah. Oh. That would be fun. If you allow me in your car, I'll come with you. Oh, you can totally. You can totally awesome. Car. Road trip. Yeah. That's going to be fun. A, 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 a free BB's, free BB's road trip. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like sometimes we just need to stop fixing, putting words in front of BB. <laughs> Three BBs, pre-BBs. It's a lot of fun, though. Talk, talk BBs. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, Gamescom. That's next week. It's so fast. We're already in August. This year's flew on by. Yeah, it's good, though. It's a good, it's, it's a better year. Oh yeah, for sure. In, in that regard. For sure, like, uh, it feels less. It feels less like the world is locked up and more like you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, the the temperatures are getting out of control. Oh yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember this. I am sweating behind my computer here, and yes. I'm in a. I'm in a. I'm in a chalabia, <laughs> and I'm still like I'm swimming. I, yeah, I'm struggling to sleep some nights because it's too hot. Yeah. Wow. What is up with that? It's been, I mean, we had a heat wave here, but it wasn't as bad as I'm seeing in Europe. It's ridiculous in Europe. It doesn't make any sense. Well, we just don't know what to do with heat. Mm-hmm. Like this entire place is built for Stockholm weather, not for like, <laughs> yeah. not for Italy weather. That's sad. Yeah, it's wild. It's very warm. I'm going to swim my way out of this chalabia into something dry. <laughs> the studio lamps and everything don't help. <laughs> So I think we're going to wrap it up. Sounds good to me. That was a lot of fun. Good. Put a doily that on was it. was a lot of fun. <laughs> Put a doily on <laughs> it. An AI-generated doily. AI-generated doily. Highly pixelated. I, uh, highly pixelated doily. Yeah, no, that, that's what we're going to do. So that was another episode of the Habibis. Uh, you can uh, tune in, check in uh, via thehabibis.com or join our Discord at discord.thehabibis.com. You can follow us at Twitter at the underscore Habibis. Uh, and you know you can find me and Osama and Fauzi individually there as well or in the Twitter handles we say in the outro thanks so much for tuning in and uh, until uh, inshallah (laughs) until inshallah Inshallah. a live episode inshallah Inshallah. from Gamescom (laughs) inshallah 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 for now salam 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 That was the Habibis podcast for this week. I was Rami Ismail, your host for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at T-H-A underscore Rami. My fellow Habibis were Osama Dorias, who you can find on Twitter at Osama Dorias. And Fauzi Mesmar, who you can find on Twitter at Fauzi Mesmar. Send us your questions, stories, and suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. The intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubaila. And the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. 
The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea. With new episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting service or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening and salam.